and, uh, and he was what I thought the person from Arizona was like. And this guy forever changed my life. But not in the way you might think. As I'm sitting there and doing my sales job, because that's what I was, I was a salesperson, I would give him a benefit that he, him and his wife would uh, receive by becoming a, be a member of our buyer's club. And when I'd stop and pause, he would look at me, and he did something that probably nobody's ever done to you in this room. He took his fingers, and he reached up to his nose, and he pulled out a nose hair. And then he would look at it, and he would just do this with his fingers. Okay, it changed my life. <laughs> I can never look at nose hairs again. You're going, there's got to be a reason you told this story. It wasn't to, you know, get you to look at nose hairs the way I do. If you see my eyes glancing down from your eyeballs, guys, you know where my mind goes. But it's an actual event that impacted me so much that even when I have told the stories, I don't know, umpteen dozens of times, I remember the guy's name. And that's important when we work our way through the confession because only three names are mentioned in the confession. You've got the name of Jesus, you've got the name of Mary, and you've got the name of Pilate. In fact, it's interesting that the creed's early criticism is it didn't really bring much of Jesus's life into the creed. He was born, and then he was crucified under Pontius Pilate and died. But here's the key. When we say this part of the confession, when we are really in a place where we're saying, I believe Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate and buried, we are confessing that this actually happened with actual people, with actual result. This is why this is in here. Because in the known world, Pilate was a guy that was very well known. And so it was constantly brought back to the reality that this event, which we summarize as the cross, but it was much more than a cro the cross. But this part of the event, certainly in his, his trial and his being nailed to the cross and his dying and being put in the grave, and then the resurrection, all that's the same event. We're just going to look at going up to the death today. But this death that Jesus incurred, this, this, this hanging on the cross, it's an actual event with actual people, with an actual result. Now, if you've been a, if you've been a, a follower of Jesus long, it's easy to go, yep, that's true. But I think what you're going to find if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you're going to find yourself a bit challenged today because when you kind of delve into this event and you fully understand this event, you can't help but have the event actually change you. And so in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, starting in the first verse, Paul says these words. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Okay, now he's talking to people who were already followers of Jesus. They have said yes to him. They had been baptized 
as a sign that they were dead to their old way of life and now have been risen to the life of Jesus. And he says, well, he, he calls them a name, which, you know, we wouldn't encourage our kindergartners to do, but he did. He called them foolish. He says, who, who, um, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, let me stop here for a minute because here Paul is, he is what he's not saying to them. He's not saying you were at the place where Jesus was crucified. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that when he portrayed the event and he walked through the actual event with actual people with an actual result, they would not be able to be followers of Jesus without actually being able to see that in their own mind's eye. And so when he talked to them, when he, when he preached to them originally, he took them in their mind's eye all the way back to this actual event. And for us, and, and this is a, a very well-known fact, that it was this event of Jesus at the cross that ultimately was a turning point in the history of our world. This is not an argued thing. This isn't, archaeologists aren't going, did this really happen? That's not what happened. The archaeologists know well what happened. Even Paul, when he was before the, the governor, said it was done all out in the open. This wasn't a secret. These weren't stories. The only stories that arose came later when they said he didn't raise from the dead, but we'll get into that a little bit next week. But you read down a little bit further in Galatians in chapter 3, in verse 10, it says this. For all who rely on works, say that word works, of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it, it is evident that no one is justified by God before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I want you to say those words with me. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Ready? Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that Christ Jesus, the blessing, uh, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Five times, five times in these verses, he uses one word, curse. The actual event that we are delving into, the actual event that is the confession of our faith reveals a problem, and it is an actual problem. The actual problem really has two, if you want to bring that up on the screen, Aaron, that'd be great, actually has two components to the actual problem. There's the, the cursed and there's the cause. 
Now, really, in this scripture, there are only two options. He says cursed five times and blessed once. You're either cursed or you're blessed. What does it mean to be cursed? Well, if you, if you take Hollywood's and the voodoo um, approach to, to cursing, then you have people who are pronouncing gloom and doom on your life. But the biblical form of being cursed is still gloom and doom, but it's not pronounced by a person other than the God Almighty. It's the person who works their entire life for nothing. For we all have this existence of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And if you're cursed, that's it. You're done. It's over. You find that when Adam and Eve decided to step into the cursed life, their relationships went awry. They were blaming each other. They were fighting. There was problems associated with living life under a curse. In fact, you can see in any culture, in anywhere in the world, in any time period, a people who live under a curse. And how you can tell is they have a weight that they are trying to get rid of by all form of human manners so they don't have to live under the weight of a curse. That could come by some putting their whole life focus on trying to get themselves financially free so they're not under the weight of financial burden or people who do drugs and alcohol because they're trying to escape the weight of the guilt and the shame that is associated with someone who is cursed. People who, when they look at life, they recognize that everywhere in life, both in personal achievements and family life and whatever it might be, the whole world is against them. But that is an incredibly short-sighted view for anyone, including followers of Jesus, to see as being cursed. Because the greatest challenge to being cursed is the one that you're cursed by, and that's the Almighty God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, I love the way Eugene uh, uh, Peterson puts it in the message version. And, 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 and our culture has proved this out, but here's how he said, that people were scared to death of death. They were scared to death of death. And in our common day, and and a common place you saw that was COVID-19. People were afraid to death of death. So they did everything humanly possible to protect themselves against the the eventuality or the onslaught or the soon-to-be death. Now, I'm I'm not saying I'm pro this or against that. I'm just saying that there are people, and maybe it's you, that when it seems like death gets close, fear gets ratcheted up. That is a sign of the curse. In fact, the people of Galatian, they, they actually were going, going, I've got to do everything I can religiously to make sure that I am not afraid to death of death. And so he asked him, who bewitched you? And I was, I was kind of was kind of going through this, just my, my natural heart and mind went to a question that maybe some of you are having. Well, wait a minute. Why does it seem like evil people flourish? They don't seem like they're cursed. Do you know the Bible, 
3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, dealt with that very same question. The psalmist would go, why is it that the, the unrighteous prevail? Why do they seem to live life in glory and happiness? And, 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 and all the time, they're working back in that psalm, coming back to the reality of the almighty God. And you would see that in the turning of the writings where it started out, man, life's hard. Life just doesn't seem fair. Life's problematic. But God, the Almighty, he's good. And he's kind. And in, and in, in, a, and in the biggest respect, there's the curse, but there's the cause, and it's the Almighty. Because what we are measured against, the standard of which we are to live, is not your parents. It's not what news media says. It's not what your favorite person that sings a song says. It's what the Almighty says. And when you understand it's what the Almighty says, okay, now my mark is totally different. I can't reach that mark. Romans chapter 3, Paul writes, he just says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's go back to the event for a moment. Before Jesus ever went before the trial, before he was arrested in the garden, there was a guy by the name of Judas. Judas had followed Jesus for three years. He had seen the miracles. He had watched Jesus perform acts that were not naturally or humanly possible. He listened to all of Jesus' teaching, both in, in public and in private. He would have been one of the two that were sent out to take the gospel out to different villages, the same, same group that came back and said, wow, even the demons are subject to your name. He heard the words that followed Jesus by Jesus when he said to them, don't marvel at that, marvel that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And yet, in his heart, he was a greedy man. He desired for what he could get. Now, you may not see yourself as greedy, and, and that's okay. Or maybe you are greedy. Maybe, maybe you, it's all about what you can get. But whether it's greed or something else, every person has fallen short of the perfect standard that God has set. And so what does Judas do? Judas goes and he betrays Jesus and turns him in for some silver. And he gets this silver, and he experiences what they're going to do with Jesus. I want you to get this. And what does he do? He realizes that he messed up. He made a mistake. Take your silver back. But what does the Bible say that he ultimately did? He committed suicide. The weight of the curse was so strong on him. Now watch this. He went and hung himself on a tree. Now think about what just Paul just wrote. Cursed is every man who is hung on a tree. If you're here today and you have not submitted your life to Jesus, you are no different than Judas. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be a decade from now. It may be five decades or six decades from now. But there's going to be a moment that you recognize you're cursed because you will have recognized that you 
Not your parents, not your friends, not your spouse, not your worker, not your pastor, not people that you know are Christians, but you, you yourself hung yourself on a tree. Jesus didn't hang himself on a tree. Judas hung himself on a tree. Cursed is the man who hangs himself on the tree. Get that. Because that's a problem. We have all set ourselves up with a noose ready for our weight to fall and hang ourselves. Unless you know there's there's an actual solution. There's an actual solution. I want to go back and and where, where Judas took himself and he put himself on the tree. It was Judas and the sin of greed. It was the priests and their, their, their sin of envy. And it was Pilate and his sin of cowardice that, and all other sin throughout humanity, by the way, that put Jesus on the tree, that hung him on the cross. The actual solution is Jesus Christ. Galatians, I want to read back in Galatians again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Whenever they're bringing the law up, they're just, they're, they're, Paul's bringing the law up because we know God's standards. We know how God has created us and for the purpose of the, the, the area of us to be walking out in the form of our creation through the law by becoming curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So that brings us to the actual solution. Aaron, you want to stay, keep up with me there, buddy? In the solution, you have both the satisfaction and the substitution. The cross dealt with a God who was and is unsatisfied with his own creation. God is a holy God. And by holy, I mean perfect and unblemished. He is complete. There's not any part of him that doesn't work correctly. There's not any part of him that doesn't have uh, the whatever it is to the fullest and complete sense. And every time someone sins in their heart and it becomes an act of evil, evil always tries to remove or take away from holiness. And so God, being our creator, has a problem with evil attempting to take away his perfection. Even in the place that we are created by him, he has every right, regardless of what you and I think, he has every right to expect us to live up to our creation. And I would challenge parents that would ever say to their kids, oh no, it's okay if you're substandard. 
it's okay if you grow up and become nothing. That's stupid. We don't live that way. Neither does the God of the universe. He created you and I, and he has a desire for us. Now get this. Every time you sin, let me break that down a little bit for you, using the law in a little bit more common terms. Every time you get up any day and choose to live for yourself, you insult the creator. Every time that you look at something in this world from a movie or pop star to money and you make that your idol, you insult the almighty God. Every time a word that comes out of your mouth that takes his name in vain or hurts another person, you insult the almighty God. Every time you dishonor your parents at any age, you insult your maker. Anytime that you have unforgiveness and hold something over somebody's head because they have done you wrong and they deserve and you're going to make it so for them because you're never going to talk to them, you insult the Almighty God. Every time you take something that is not yours or you look at another person lustfully, you insult the Almighty God. Every time you lie, whether it be a small lie, I mean, if you're a fisherman and you say the fish was, you insult your creator. And when you read in the Bible where it talks about the anger and the wrath of God, it's because he has been insulted by his creation. Now, I really believe that, that when you go every day going, okay, I just insulted you, God. I'm sorry. I insulted you, God. Oh, wait a minute. I said, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. There's this recognition. There's this recognition that there's a place of forgiveness between me and God. And so this, this event where Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate and was put in the grave. He was dead. He did as a substitution for you and I. Every time anyone has ever insulted the Almighty God, Jesus said, I got it. And so whether it was being betrayed whether being accused by people of all these wrong things that he didn't do, being cast aside by the, the leader of the day to the wolves, so to speak, he did because that's what you and I deserved. Because he understands the problem is that his father demands that things be made right. And so... The God that demands that things be made right came as a man to make things right. The God who demands that things be made right came as a man to make things right. 
So in Christ Jesus, I am free from the curse. I don't have to live because Jesus did. He lived a life that you and I could never live. He fulfilled the law that you and I couldn't fulfill. He took the beating that you and I deserve. Get this. He went to court on our behalf. So when the accuser of this world attempts to bring anyone that is in Christ Jesus to court, we can say, oh, no, he's already been there for me because he went to court on our behalf. We don't think about this often, but think about the, the perfect one, Jesus, enduring the embarrassment of being hung on a tree by his own creation. That in itself just, I have a hard time getting my mind around that. The amount of shame associated with being put before the people of the day as a common criminal. In fact, Scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin. The one who, throughout all of eternity past, however, I, I, we can't even put the word long into that because it always was, who, even when he was on this earth, never was disconnected from his heavenly father, experienced his father looking at him and going, The God of heaven in that moment turned his back on Jesus so that the God of heaven would never turn his back on you and I. That's awesome. Yeah, praise God. But when, when what you find is, is that when you have, a, when you have an actual problem, you have an actual, actual solution. When you, don't really, when you don't really value or at least place the proper importance on every time you insult God, then you really never move into the incredible and actual change that happens through the event. Here's what, uh, what typically happens. People who are raised in, in homes that are followers of Jesus, they hear about sin all the time, just like Judas heard about sin all the time. You hear about sin enough, all of a sudden it loses its importance. No longer does it have the weight or the gravity. I'll just throw it on Jesus. He just took care of it. We don't think of ourselves actually every time we do something wrong, insulting our creator. Yeah, I know you created me for this, but I'm going to do this. No, I understand you created me for that, but I'm going to do that over there. Every time he's insulted. And Jesus took all of that for us. Not so that we would go on and do that. But when you understand it, there's an actual change. And the, the actual change really comes in three areas. And, this, and when you understand the three areas, you'll see how much you actually understand how often you actually insult and how powerful it is for Jesus to come and say, I'll take that for you. 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 
it starts first and foremost with deliverance. What are we delivered from? We are delivered from God's wrath. My older brother, when he was here a few weeks back, he went and he took his daughter down to San Antonio. She's moving to San Antonio. She's like so many other Americans who are awakening to the, how incredibly wonderful it is to live in Texas. And, uh, but when he's here, I don't know where he came across it, but he sent us all a picture in our family yesterday. He bought himself a Geiger counter. And I said to my brother, he's like, well, I'm, I'm just, that's just adding to my prepper stuff. And I texted back, I want the bomb to land on my head. I never want one of those. Because I do not have to be afraid of, de- I'm not saying he is. I don't, I don't have to be scared to death of death. Because I have been delivered from the wrath and the anger of the Almighty God. And because I've been freed from the wrath and the anger of the Almighty God, I don't care what men can do to me. God doesn't launch a nuclear weapon. Men launch nuclear weapons. I've been freed, so I actually get to live at peace. I don't have to go around the world feeling guilty about all the dumb things that I did before coming to Jesus. How many of you never did dumb things before coming to Jesus? Come on, I want to know. You never did dumb things before coming to Jesus. Yeah, right. We all did dumb things before coming. Now, if you were, you know, if you started following Jesus for a little longer, that just means you did young people dumb things and you don't remember it as much. But the enemy always tries to make us feel guilty. But when I understand that Jesus took my place, you may hold my past against me, but the Almighty God doesn't hold my past against me. And the Almighty God, get this, he allowed his hands and his feet to be nailed to a tree, thus he couldn't move his hands, he couldn't move his feet. Meaning that every time I used my hands and I used my feet for hurt and pain and insult to the Almighty God, Jesus said, let me bind mine up so you can walk free. He did that. Yeah, praise God. It's, I've been delivered, you've been delivered from darkness to light, from blindness to sight. Now, we don't live for the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. We don't try to accumulate all we can as quickly as we can. Because we know that our future is not done when we are dead. Because just as Jesus was resurrected, I'm going to be found in Christ and be resurrected as well. We'll get more into that next week. But, but now the, not only that is now I'm not just living for the here and now. Now my life is on purpose, which really, when you, when you, when you get to this place, and I, I think this, this place of deployment or the place of development is where the church historically has just not done a good job. There's a, there's a part of every heart that wants to grow and become everything that we were created to become. And how easy it is for the church that is uh, loved by Jesus, that is far from perfect, can easily put the works of religion as a token of Christianity. Which is why Paul said at the very beginning, who's bewitched you? My freedom, my life that is not filled with guilt, My life that is confident, not filled with shame, is not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus did. 
I don't have to figure out who I am. I already know whose I am. And so I live that way. I walk that way. It's the life. And I want to grow in it. And where I have said yes to Jesus in my heart, and I pray that every one of you have said yes to Jesus in your heart, he leaves us to develop our thinking, our mind, because it has to be renewed. We know how to walk in darkness. We don't know how to walk in light. We know how to walk as blind people, but we don't know how to walk as people who see. And so the development part that happens in us in this actual change is now we not only are uh, like Christ in our hearts, but now our lives begin to reflect it because now we are being developed by people who love us and are around us who will walk us to a place of looking and acting more like Jesus on a regular basis. I'll never forget sitting by the hospital bed of someone that uh, found out they had hepatitis C of whom Jesus healed a few months later. But at the hospital bed, it was in the emergency room in Sholo. And, they, and we were in this conversation. And he just looked at me, his name's Ed, and he goes, I thought just the F word was the bad word. No one had ever talked to him in his mind. He loved Jesus in his heart, but he never knew in his mind that when he used the name of Jesus in a derogatory manner meant to curse someone or something, that he was offending and insulting his maker. But when we do a life-on-life, relationship-relationship-on-relationship development, we can talk about things that help us remain aligned with the cross. Because it doesn't matter how many times I get up and preach, don't do this. A person that's close to me might take that. A person that doesn't know me well is not going to take that nearly as well, but somebody who walks with you and talks with you and, and pursued you and cares about you and has demonstrated love to you day after day, year after year, if they look at you and say, stop it, you're going to take a different. All they're trying to do is to get your mind to understand that your action, while still in Christ Jesus, is still insulting to the Almighty God. But we stop our development because we think it can be just developed in a book or in some big class. But one of the things I love about Bethel is that we say, no, you, got to, you have to have somebody in your life who is holding you accountable to your spiritual walk, who's looking at you and saying, hey, that's insulting to your creator. They may not use those words. They may use the word, oh, you foolish, whatever your name is. Said it a number of times, there's a reason that in the church, Christians are better at their jobs than they are their Christianity. Because it's in their jobs that they have somebody that walks with them to train them and to help them. But when you are a person who understands the power of the solution of the event, you become the one who's now deployed. And you say, I actually believe this confession, and I actually see the problem with my next-door neighbors, with my coworkers, with people who are at Starbucks, and you say, wait a minute, I not only see the problem, I know the solution, and I can help with that. And you live a life that is actually changed by the event so that it changes every day following. And I finish with this scripture in Romans that really ties in what Ryota talked about last week and just did a phenomenal job at. 
says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Starts with him being Lord. He's my boss. He's my, he, what, he knows how I'm supposed to live. He knows how I'm created. You do what you want me to do, and I'll do it. You will be saved. For with your heart, for with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So I don't know where you're at with the actual problem. Are you still dealing with the problem? Have you really stepped into the solution? It's just saying yes to Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, I will follow you. We confess him as Lord. He knows what's best. He knows the way, how to navigate life. He knows how to navigate death. There's no, no part of life that Jesus doesn't know how to navigate. When we say, I confess you as my Lord, because I believe that you're the solution in my heart. I don't have all the answers. You're not going to be done insulting God, but you're going to be guilt-free, shame-free. You're going to be you're going to be free of the bondages of this life and you're going to be set free to live as God always intended you to live. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you and it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group, but let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.